Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Happy sunny Tuesday. Wow, I think spring is finally here. I say that now it'll snow on Tuesday, on Thursday, but <laughs> whatever. My optimism yeah. abounds. I smelled some flowering trees yesterday, which for me means all is right. Yes, in took some pictures the too. World, I did. So if you get either the Daily Dose newsletter or my own Sunday newsletter, you'll probably see some flowering tree photos this weekend. They look good. What's more beautiful? I would argue virtually nothing. So um, let me get to where, I, oh yeah, I am where I need to be. Good morning. We are talking today about a book that I read, finished last week called Both And by Huma Abedin. She uh, is a longtime Hillary Clinton staffer. In fact, interestingly, she started in the White House in the First Lady's office when she was 20 as an intern and has never not worked for Hillary Clinton which I think is amazing. It is. Um, I, I mean, so what do you think you know about this woman? You think you know, because well, you don't think you know, you know that she married a man with an unfortunate last name based on what ended up happening to him, uh, Anthony Weiner. <laughs> Anthony uh, really took his last name to heart and has had some serious, serious, Problems. I mean, you haven't read the book, but you certainly know uh, what Anthony Weiner's uh, challenges anyone are. Anyone who reads the news knows. Yeah. And again, if his name had been Anthony Smith, it wouldn't have been quite so entertaining. It would have been problematic, but not quite so entertaining. Um, but it turns out that he is a sex addict. Um, and so this book is, is, I mean, it's a big book. It is in part about her relationship with him. It's in part about her family life, her extraordinary parents. Her father grew up in India, her mother grew up in Pakistan, and, or possibly vice versa. I, I think her father grew up in India and her mother in Pakistan. They were both Fulbright scholars, met at Penn State. Um, she, Huma Abedin was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Like, I feel like that makes her almost my neighbor. Uh, she's a little bit younger than I am, but, um, you find out about a tremendous number of political insights and intrigues. One thing that I think she does super well in this book is she doesn't really speculate. So she talks about the Lewinsky scandal because she was there for it. You never know if she knows Monica Lewinsky. She doesn't address her at all. Um, she doesn't pass judgment on the president. She doesn't uh, speculate on how Hillary Clinton dealt with that. She addresses what she knows from her perspective. Well, that's unique. It's incredibly unique. And she does the same with her marriage. So uh, she's 35, I think, when they get married. She has never been with a man. He is the only man she has been with to the publication of this book, which I think was last year. Uh, because it's she is not Muslim in the sense of um, wear headscarves or more, 
pray to Mecca seven times a day. That That's not who she is as a Muslim. It is core to her being. Um, so she takes the tenets of it very seriously. She had these, her mother is still alive. Her father died when she was 17. She had these amazing parents who instilled curiosity and education and intelligence into her and faith. And so she really, she really references that throughout the book in a way that as someone who doesn't know a tremendous amount about is the state of Islam as a faith, it's, it's very compelling. Um, but the hardest part for me to read was how she deals with this addiction, which she is utterly naive to. And you've heard us say that kind of neither mm -hmm. one of us knew exactly what was going on and that we both didn't understand what was happening, didn't know what was happening, and perhaps did know what was happening and found ways to refuse to acknowledge it or identify it. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. So I want to read you two quick little sections from this because they really stuck out to me. If you are a spouse of an addict of any kind, I think you will find this book compelling, even if you hate the political side of the aisle that she's on. Um, so she's talking about uh, leaving an office. So kind of the, one of the last big straws for her is when Jim Comey reopened Hillary Clinton's email deals because they found emails, sensitive emails between Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin on Anthony Weiner's computer. And they found them because they had confiscated his computer because he had been sexting with a minor. And so they opened up this, this uh, investigation again, two weeks before the 2016 uh, presidential election, just in case you need a little jog. So she says, when I left his office, I had another realization. What I had gone through in the last two years had been clouded by such overwhelming shame and grief and uncertainty that I simply didn't have it in me to just say to someone, to anyone, please help me. I had tried to navigate the mess I was in with the man who had created it, who was at least as confused and overwhelmed as I was, and with a therapist who seemed, to me anyway, to not be helping. In my professional life, I had always been the doer the fixer, the one who confronted any problems head on and resolved them. In my personal life, I did not know how to ask for help. I had tried to do it on my own and I had failed spectacularly. So that piece is fascinating to me because I felt like that was absolutely a case for me. I'm a fixer. When I re when I was finally told, well, when I finally had the realization after it was laid out for me that I also had a problem and needed help, that was a revelation as well yeah you some stuff you just cannot fix on your yeah. own and i was to i was still i i could fix what was wrong with me and i was 100 percent incorrect well if you'd if you'd been diagnosed with cancer we wouldn't have said you know what let's just work on it quietly for ourselves <laughs> yeah that's part of what is so insidious about addiction is that you don't reach out for help the same way you would for any medical disease. It's incredible. So one other quick little section. Addiction, I discovered, is a powerful adversary. While people are in the throes of active addiction, I was told they can't rationalize behavior. 
that when they are in their right minds, they would never even consider. It takes over all conscious, sensible thought, which is why even good people, when in active addiction, can do terribly irresponsible and destructive things. It can be like dealing with a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I had always believed that the person doing those destructive things was not the man I had married. And all these years later, I learned out I was right. Um, that was also very validating for me because part of why I stayed with you, let me look at you. Part of why I stayed with you <laughs> was because I believed that the man I had met was somewhere. I just couldn't find you. I couldn't figure out how to um, trigger a, a recall of that person. And because I'm a fixer and a doer, rather than say, this is too much work, I, I can't do it. I just doubled down and I doubled down in often, sorry, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I doubled down in often unhelpful ways because I didn't know how to do this and i didn't understand that i couldn't fix you yeah you had to fix you um so we were talking about this book at a dinner party we had uh last weekend and uh at the dinner party was our friend julie blem who has been a guest on guest thursday julie's husband david killed himself when he got a dui um you might recall and uh, we were talking about the way that we sort of create some distinctions and the actual distinctions between an addiction like drug or alcohol abuse and an addiction like sex addiction. Because drugs and alcohol, you can take out of your system. How do you take something so ephemeral like the, the serotonin thrill of sending an inappropriate picture of your body to a stranger or having a, a very inappropriately flirtatious back and forth conversation with somebody. How do you do that? In, is, there, is there a difference from your perspective? And so it's a two-part question. One, that. And two, have you spent any time with anybody who suffers from sex addiction? I can answer the second one easy enough. No. Okay. The closest I can think about sex addi sex addiction is, I don't know. I, I actually, I, I don't know anything about it, but I mean, I can. Uh, with any addiction, it's a it's a powerful pull. But you know, to me, there's a a harder addiction to break would be gambling, and I think gambling may be more closely related to a sex oh. addiction than alcohol or drugs because there's no chemical addition to your body's turning over and biochemistry there's something that's it's like an emotional it's term. more of a thrill thing than yeah. a chemical thing yeah and i i don't know if there's many um experts and um the workings of the brain who have got the head in the hands going no <laughs> well you're not claiming to know anything uh, but, We're just you know, talking. Is, i mean it does set off a biochemical arc isn't in the brain it, it does affect the the pleasure center whether you know um Ventral tangential area, as it's called. So, yeah, but what stimulates it? I mean, and 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 what um, chemical receptors are sent 
to the frontal cortex to make you just want to do that. Uh, that's a powerful. It's reaction. hard. It's really hard to imagine. She does. I'm going to just give you a little more screen space, Dr. Mary. There Good. you go. I'm she... going to see my elbows. <laughs> I was worried. I know. I'm sure our audience was too. She does do a really interesting job of um, sort of trying to address what she thinks initially might have caused this for him um, and, and reasons why. And she also does a really amazing job of talking through her personal journey. So um, at one point, a therapist, first of all, he's in and out of therapy. He goes away to um, rehab. He does all the same did, things you do. Did. In the in, uh, in the book, does she make any reference to the fact that he voluntarily went to do this or was he forced to do it? Um, I would say he was forced by her. He did voluntarily choose to do it. It wasn't a court mandate. It, it wasn't. Um, the court mandate was that he spent 21 months in a federal prison for the 15-year-old that he was sexting with. Um, and, and fascinatingly, uh, the the final therapist that she references, who is actually very useful to her, is uh, somebody who says for the first time to her that this is an addiction. She doesn't understand that it's an addiction. She thinks it's just like a weakness. Um, and so for her to learn that it's an addiction is incredibly useful for her. The same way it was useful for me mm -hmm. to have somebody put a diagnosis onto what was wrong with you. Um, but the other thing that she discovers, and this, of course, is true of um, addicts of any kind, locking somebody away who suffers with an addiction is rarely the answer. First of all, where do you think people go in prison? Addiction is rampant in prisons. Mm. Um, we were just on a call last week that we get on monthly and they were, it was people who are qualified, trained therapists, uh, addiction counselors, those kinds of things. And they were saying that somewhere between 85 and 93% of inmates are addicted to something. Well, okay. So they're locked away. They, they don't have things to stimulate them in a positive way. So it doesn't fix addiction problems. And this therapist says to Huma Abedin that his this isolation period has probably only exacerbated his problems because at his core is narcissism. He he finds true pleasure in the um, chase of constituents, for lack of a better phrase. You know, he'd been a longtime congressman. He was running for mayor of New York City. He's clearly a brilliant mind that's also plagued with needing incredible attention. I mean, if you look at her just pragmatically, if you don't suffer from sex addiction, like really he shouldn't need to find somebody else. She's spectacularly beautiful. She's highly accomplished. She's had this incredible life and career. He doesn't appear to ever have been threatened by that. So it's not that. It's just not probably unlike Bill Clinton. He needs that adulation. He needs that constant attention. Mm. And she, 
and Bill Clinton's wife both had independent, busy careers. So it's really fascinating. And I will just say that um, I think we have to figure out how to deal with that piece of it. Because why in the world should a woman take a backseat to a man because his pleasure center needs constant attention, care, and stimulation. Hmm. Any more than why should a man take a backseat to a woman who needs the same thing? I, I mean, that's got to be a piece of this conversation that I think has to be dealt with. Well, interesting. I, I really, really recommend this book if you're interested in the politics of the last 25 or so years, 30 years, if you're interested in learning more about Islam as is, Muslim faith, if you're interested in her story, or most importantly, if you ever at some point in these years of like 2013 to 2017, which is I think, or it's 2020, which is about when all of this was going on, made light of this relationship, which of course, I mean, you can imagine that the uh, late night comedians had a heyday with this, mm -hmm. that the press has hounded them. Um, Does she say what he's doing now when he gets yeah, uh, out of prison? Not in the book, but I read the first art, first interview she gave after the book came out. He is selling concrete countertops that are mixed with broken glass. This brilliant strategic mind has been reduced to that because you can imagine he's going to have a hard time being political ever again. Well, we'll get any real work. I mean, yeah. he's got a, he's got a serious he's a fatal conflict. And, and he's a sex offender. So, um, Oh, he had to be in the register. Yes. Forever. I don't know that. Um, but the reality is you don't know what's going on in anybody's household. You don't really know how somebody is dealing with this and you don't know what is real for them. So, Read the book if you're at all curious about any of those pieces. It's highly readable. She's a beautiful writer. She clearly had an excellent editing team. It's really, really a well-done book. And, you so, know, and for the for power, for what we're trying to achieve in this little show, it's a great, I imagine, I haven't read it. I'm going to have to really construct this sentence correctly. I would imagine it's a fantastic, it could be a fantastic tool for someone who's the spouse of someone who has an addiction. Not many spouses write about this and take ownership of their piece of it, work hard to work through it. I mean, now, <clears throat> and you probably won't even have to identify the same gender as her. No, I don't think so. Find, you might even find this useful. In fact, a man, she, she recounts a man who comes up to her to tell her that he's suffering from the same fate that she is. Um, <clears throat> Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Doesn't oh, matter. Sorry, love. No, it's all right. Doesn't matter. Uh, get the book. Listen to the book. Do yourself a favor and be an informed person. And then before you go to make fun of somebody who's suffering, stop and think about the whole network who's suffering with that person. And um, boy, if you've never experienced it, then spend that moment sort of saying there, but for the grace of God, go I, because yeah. way too many people have some lived experience with some form and fashion of addiction.
Uh, join us Thursday. We're going to have a conversation I'm really looking forward to with a woman you haven't met yet. Um, I talked to her about six weeks ago, so I'm not even going to no. tell you much about her. Thanks. But uh, she's got a fascinating story and I think will be a great interview. So we'll see you Thursday, Thursday morning. Look into Both and by Huma Abedin. It's a lot to learn, a lot to take away. We'll talk to you soon. See you Thursday. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L.com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.